Welcome to this special Conversations Shelter in Place episode of the Orbital Perspective Podcast. Where we dolly zoom out to a perspective where upcoming megatrends become visible. Every day, it is more and more apparent that we are in the midst of the great transition. Everything is changing rapidly. The fundamentals of business, government, and society are being rewritten almost on a daily basis. We are truly living during a time where the riskiest course of action is to stay the course. The most hazardous path is to take the tried and true. We are also living during a time where it is becoming more and more apparent that the status quo is not working. At least it's not working for everyone. And until the status quo is working for everyone, we will do nothing more than slap temporary band-aids on our problems and our challenges. We are presently dealing with crisis after crisis. But these crises can serve as a wake-up call. They can be our call to action to incorporate the changes necessary to make us all more resilient and better equipped to deal with the future crises that will undoubtedly come our way. The Orbital Perspective is all about transcending the divisive walls that separate us and embracing the awe and wonder of our shared humanity. What all the guests on the Orbital Perspective podcast have in common is they are all able to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when we look at issues from different perspectives, we see things in stereoscopic vision. Multiple perspectives allow us to see the depth of a situation below the two-dimensional us-versus-them surface. The other thing all our guests have in common is they are all proof that you don't have to be in orbit to have the orbital perspective. Now, this is not an interview, and it's also not just a conversation between two friends. It's a conversation amongst all of us. If you're listening live, please post your questions and your comments so that we can bring you into the conversation. And if you're listening to the recorded conversation, still please join in with your comments and questions and be a part of this evolving community. Thank you for being here and being a part of this conversation from the Orbital Perspective. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Orbital Perspective. I am really, really excited about today's episode. Uh, one of my all-time favorite authors, Andy Weir, is going to be with us, uh, author of The Martian, Artemis, uh, and his new book, uh, Project Hail Mary, which I had the opportunity to read. Great book. Uh, and it is, it is spectacular. And I'm really excited because all of the heroes in his stories, and Andy is just an incredible incredibly talented storyteller and then all the all the heroes and all those stories um, they have to overcome incredible odds and 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 uh, seemingly insurmountable challenges and there's a lot of comparisons to to the world right now the challenges that we're facing and the odds that that we're facing but I think equally important or maybe even more important than that is how his characters and, and the stories that he tells the characters in them, are able to keep a positive attitude and keep a sense of humor uh, no matter what the situation is, no matter how stressful and risky the, the environment. Uh, and I think there's a lot we can learn from that. And so I'm going to get right into the introduction. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Andy Weir. Andy Weir built a two-decade career as a software engineer until the success of his first published novel allowed him to live out his dream of writing full-time. In 2014, Andy Weir published his brilliant debut novel, The Martian, hailed by critics and fans alike as a new science fiction classic. The book was a genuine publishing phenomenon, spending a year and a half on the New York Times bestseller list, including 19 weeks at number one, and selling millions of copies in North America alone, not to mention being adapted into the hit Matt Damon Ridley Scott film of the same name. His second novel, Artemis, was also a New York Times bestseller, and his incredible short story, The Egg, is a must-retake on the nature of reality. In his new book, titled Project Hail Mary, which was released May 4th, Andy brilliantly delivers exactly what his fans crave, a thrilling tale of an astronaut sciencing his way past impossible problems and terrifying odds with the future of humanity at stake. Andy is a lifelong space nerd and devoted hobbyist of such subjects as relativistic physics, 
orbital mechanics, and the history of human spaceflight. He also mixes a mean cocktail. Andy, welcome. Thanks for being hey. on the episode. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so new book. What do you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they I gotta keep doing that or they stop giving me money. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> so so like I said in, in the introduction, I think it's a it's a fabulous book. Uh really, really exciting. You had me at the first page. Actually, you had me at the first line. Can I say oh, what the first can I say what the first line of the book is? Sure. What is two plus two? Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I'm starting off with some some deep, heavy, uh, complex math here. Yeah, yeah, but it was. I mean, you had me at the first page, and I just I just kept turning page after page. I think it's um, a, a really riveting story, and it, it's very reminiscent of The Martian, uh, where you know you have somebody who's who happens to be. I don't know. I, I don't want to give too much away, but he happens to be alone, uh, and he has you know this really really tough problem to solve. Uh, and has to tap into the ingenuity of the human spirit to to, to overcome it. Yeah, just to give the uh, kind of I don't know elevator pitch, and there's there's no way to talk about it at all without giving at least some spoilers to like chapter one. But basically, um, a, a guy, our, our protagonist, wakes up um, um, in a in a like a hospital bed and uh, realizes he's been in a coma for a long time. And then he fairly quickly realizes he's aboard a spaceship. And then over time, oh, he also has complete amnesia, has no idea who he is or why he's there. And then over time, he comes to realize that he's uh, the only survivor on this mission. And he is the only hope to save all life on Earth from extinction. So no pressure. <laughs> so of course because he's an isolated scientist um that's you know it it's similar to the martian um but i really didn't want to repeat story beats from the martian so for instance he's not really trying to save himself he's trying to save everyone else and also he you know he's he's got plenty of food you know he's, yeah. he's got, he doesn't have to go potatoes man. and and yeah. his equipment almost always works perfectly like yeah. you know it's a different it's a different story than the martian but yeah i do i do love my isolated scientist kind of kind of story device yeah it is it is a completely different story than the martian uh Completely different character development with the hero, with one exception. I, th I, I the sense of humor I thought was very similar to Mark Watney with, uh, mm. with Ryan Grace. Uh, uh, although less, considerably less swearing. <laughs> I don't think there was any swearing, was there? That's yeah. Uh, Ryland doesn't swear. Yeah, that's uh, an aspect of his personality, and you find out why later. Yeah, and yeah. it makes sense. He actually does swear once in the book when he's really surprised by something, and it's it's very apropos. <laughs> Well, Rylan Grace is, is a teacher by profession. I don't know if that's a spoiler alert or not, but there you go. I, yeah. I, I, I thought I thought it was a I thought it was a good nod to teachers. Um, yeah, I I like teachers, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so in fact, he he's a or you know before his job was to save all of uh, you know Earth's biosphere, he was a junior high school yeah. teacher. <laughs> you know, you might you might it's, ask how he got from from the one place to the other, like. No, we don't want to spoil it. There's, there, 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 there's a story behind that, and you'll find that in the book. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I really like the, the fact that it was a, a nod to teachers. And um, yeah, I'm not sure which is more challenging, saving the world or, or teaching middle school, but. Um, <laughs> hey, I'd rather teach middle school than high school. Yeah. Well, the other, the other big theme in, in, the, in the book, um, I almost said in the movie, but it's surely going to be a movie. Not, not yet, but uh, you know, <laughs> MGM bought the rights, and we have Ryan Gosling uh, lined up to play the uh, Ryland Grace. Yeah, well, well uh, I because mean, well, because we just needed someone with the same initials, and oh, so okay. we <laughs> we scoured and found. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, when I read it, it was like, well, I felt like I was watching a movie. It was so it was so descriptive. So that was oh, thanks. I, I tend to write cinematically, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But yeah. in it, you know, like the Martian uh, is somebody who is tasked to overcome an insurmountable challenge. And um, I don't know, do you, is there anything that you can share with our, our viewers and our listeners on things that we can take from your story, actually your stories uh, that apply to, to our situation now? Well, um, I mean, 
you know, fiction and adventure stories are what you make of them. But I never really, I'm, I'm never really writing for any purpose other than to entertain the reader. I, I never, I don't have a moral. I don't have a an objective. I'm not trying to change your mind about anything or bring something to light that I think you need to know. I don't, I, they don't have a moral. Uh, it's just, I, I just want that readers to enjoy the book. That's it. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to answer that question, but I guess I would say um, my, my books feature characters who, who, who don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So determination. <laughs> just, just stick yeah. with it and yeah. break big problems down into little ones and, and see, see if you can fix them. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that I took from your characters uh, is the idea to focus on you know, when you're when you're in this really, really life threatening or, or really tough situation is to focus on right now. What do I have control over right now and not worry about all those other things that, you know, what might happen later or any of this stuff. And so there are times where you see your, your characters just narrowing that focus down and concentrating on on what's right in front of them. Um, yeah. And that's kind of a um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a coping mechanism I use to deal with anxiety. Um, I, I've had a lifelong struggle with anxiety myself, and I'm very open about this. And um, to anyone who has the same problem, anxiety or depression, um, get help. You know, it's not, it's, there's a lot of people feel a certain amount of shame about it. You, you, you wouldn't feel ashamed if you were born, you know, paralyzed below the waist. So why would you feel ashamed if you were born with a brain that's not quite doing what it's supposed to do? And, um, so get help and also don't give up on your internal self. In other words, it's very easy to say like, this is just how I am. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. There's not like, there's, it's not like there's a stick in my head and if you pull it out, it'll fix the brain. You, 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 you can very easily fall into thinking this is who I am, but it doesn't have to be. Um, any more than if you broke your leg, if you said, well, that's who I am. Yeah, okay. Or you could go to a doctor to have it fixed. And just like a broken leg, you need to go to a doctor and you need to get help. Then you have to do the therapy and you have to do the work to slowly recover. And that whole big aside, um, which you didn't even <laughs> ask about, yeah. is um, really one of my mechanisms for dealing with anxiety is I'm, you know, I'm worried about this, worried about this, worried about this, and it's all piling up. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what, what's a little thing that's in front of me right now that I can address? Like, you know, I, I can't control the future or I've got this big thing going on over there. Like, but what's a little thing? I'm like, okay, like the, the light switch in the bathroom is not working. How about I work on that? Like, you know, it's not going to, I'm not going to be set for life by fixing that problem, but I will have fixed that problem. You know, I will be addressing something. So in a roundabout way, I guess my, my writing reflects my kind of approach to handling, you know, the, the, the challenges of life. <laughs> you know, that's, that. I think that's really good advice. And, you know, with, so, so th this is the, the first episode of this show that that's not live uh, when it, and and it should be obvious that it's not live because I would have already uh, pestered the listening audience for their comments and questions about yeah I don't see uh, a single comment <laughs> I mean your audience is just not engaged with this one yeah. I gotta say yeah and if you have commented I'm sorry it's not <laughs> it's not like <laughs> so so um oh to you to you that guy who just wrote that one comment just now yeah yeah <laughs> yeah same to you buddy yeah but but we record we're recording this um uh in March uh, and both of our books, uh, uh, Project Hail Mary and Floating in Darkness, are coming out on May 4th. I, I suspect that we are going to air this episode af after that. Uh, but, you know, going back to, to – I just wanted to set the time frame of where we're at uh, in this thing. So we're back in – we're in March. Um, we're still cast your mind back to yeah, cast two your mind months back. ago. So, because hopefully, Be, by the time before people are, the robots attack, yeah. right? Well, so, uh, this is a I'm simpler at, time. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at it a little more optimistic than that because <laughs> hopefully, 
you know, we're, we're still in the pandemic right now. We're still, you know, we still have all these restrictions and lockdowns and everything else. And hopefully when people are watching this, we're, we're, we're somewhat on the other side of that. Uh, if not completely on the other side of that, I think we'll be less so, but I'd be surprised if we're like done. Right. Yeah. But it'll be nice. Yeah. It's getting better ever so slowly. You know? but I think the bottom line is that there's there's a lot of anxiety out there and a lot of what you talked about, I think, is really good for, for people to, to take to heart and to and to put in practice because I because um, for good reason, there's there's a lot of folks that that are, are hurting. So I, I want to sort of shift gears a little bit. And, and I, I remind you, this is I know I'm asking all the questions right now and it's it kind of seems like an interview, but it's 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 supposed to be just a conversation. So. Well- I mean, all the questions I would ask you are just the ones you've heard so many dang times that you're probably, what's it like in zero G? What's it like when you look? You're like, uh, you know, you'd be I like, think you know, I think you already know all the answers to those questions because you write, because <laughs> you write, you write so so beautifully about it. So maybe uh, that, that's a good segue because I, as as. Um, I don't. I, I. I feel. I can't even say fellow writer because I'm not in the same league, right? <laughs> so, Dude. I, okay. It's a, I, I. I don't understand how you're. How you're like going? Wow, Andy, you're cool, and I'm not. Ron, you are a freaking astronaut. <laughs> it, there. There is nothing that is cooler than an astronaut. So. <laughs> well, I. I, 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 I I'm anywhere. I'm an astronaut that wants to be become a really good writer. And, okay. Well. And. <laughs> One of the, one of the folks that I look to, to for guidance is you. Oh. I mean, you're, you're. I mean, so here's a here's a line from the first or second page of of Project Hail Mary. It was, um, oh, what is it? Uh, it was blinding white light with shades of pain. Is that right? Did I get that right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so I, I'm curious about your your writing process. I mean, do okay. you do you have the whole story mapped out, and you or do you just write it out? Does it does it just spill out as you write it? Um, you know, a little column A, a little column B. I mean, so I have the main plot beats. Um, well, it's actually it's different for each book, I guess. Uh, for Project Hail Mary, I had the primary plot beats already known. The um, the you know the whole situation, the conflict which is, you know, Earth's impending doom and, and Ryland has to say that that's the conflict, right? And so I had that, I had the details of that worked out and why that's happening. I had the kind of all, all the fun in the second act onward um, all planned out in advance and just just the major plot points, the major events of the plot, the turning points and stuff like that. I had that all in mind and all, all the way up through to the ending. Yeah. Um, but like it that would be like i could have put that on an index card mm. like it'd be like these are the major major beats of the story and getting from here to here i just kind of made it up as i went along yeah. you know um so yeah and sometimes as i'm writing i'd be like oh um this would be you know th- this would be better mm-hmm. so um actually i'm going to kind of change the big overarching thing but i just want to be clear i I don't write with an outline um because uh i don't know it's not just not how i do it but i did have a a basic concept in mind unlike the martian um which i made up as i went along yeah like as i wrote each chapter i didn't have the next chapter in mind i i and if I remember correctly, there was some crowdsourcing that was involved with that too. Uh, in the fact checking, yeah. yeah. So basically, I wrote The Martian originally as a serial, which I just posted to my website one chapter at a time. And I mean, I'd write a chapter and I'd post it. And then, like, you know, six to eight weeks later, I'd write the next chapter. So I really was like, I was posting content with no idea how the story was going to end. Like, I was literally just making it up as I went along. In fact, when I started it, I, I originally planned for it to be um, the entire story was just going to be nothing but Mark on Mars. No other characters, nothing. But then over time, I just realized, oh, it'd be so much cooler if I get the NASA characters in there yeah. and yeah. show what's happening <laughs> Earthside, what's happening with his crew and yeah. and stuff like that. And so that that shows me like making it up as I go along. It's yeah. It's like page 50 or so before you see another character. Right. That's when I decided, yeah, there's just no way NASA wouldn't find out he's still alive. 
you know, it's it's amazing. I, I was on vacation in Croatia, and I'm sitting on the on the balcony of my hotel room, and I'm re- and I'm reading The Martian when it when it first came out, and I remember just laughing my head off at one particular scene. It's when he first is, Mark Watney establishes contact back to NASA, and I, I'm not gonna. What's, what's that? With Pathfinder. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's okay yeah. to spoil the Martian. It's been out yeah, for a long yeah. time. <laughs> there, there is a scene in there that, and what was so funny about it, and I, I think I've told you this before, is that you completely nailed the, the NASA bureaucracy and and, <laughs> and, and, and and how it works and the person and the personality of it and everything. I think I think that was. You know, <laughs> For refreshing, I guess. Well, I had um, I, I had some help with that earlier in my teen years, um, starting from age fifteen on up until I went to college. I actually worked um, part time, you know. So I was going to high school, but I also uh, worked part time at a national lab, Sandia National Lab in Livermore. Yeah. And so that's a large federal research facility, and so I just kind of said, like, I don't know what NASA's like internally, but I know what it's like at a large federal scientific research facility. So I'm just going to project that kind of feel over into my NASA scenes. And everyone who works for NASA says, yep. <laughs> yep. yep. In fact, uh, one of my favorite comments, and I just loved it, it made me laugh, was uh, I, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but it was somebody at either NASA or JPL who said, like, the most inaccurate part of the Martian is the high level of cooperation shown between NASA and JPL. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can see that. Hey, can, I, can I go back to Project uh, Hail Mary for a second? Oh, yeah, I suppose we can talk about that. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> your, your publisher will be very thankful. Uh, um, yeah, they'll, they'll like that. Uh, so I, I, going back to your writing process, too, when you, when you had the L- – and I hope this is not a spoiler, but it, but it is a story of friendship, right? Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, uh, and I, when, was when, that was that pre premeditated that, or did that um, come out in the process? Uh, I o- always had that that kind of friendship slash you know cooperation thing in mind, but as I was writing it, the friendship aspect of it became just so pleasant it was just working so well that i leaned into it more i didn't expect it to be as 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 cool as it was and what's interesting is um there 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 there, there's another character in the story who's i i would say is the deuteragonist you know um the second the second most critical character Mm -hmm. and um uh can we say his name can we say yeah well well, his his name's rocky yeah uh his nickname Anyway, is Rocky, and um, he is. Uh, I have been so there've been about maybe five hundred pre-release copies sent out total to various uh, people who won uh, contests or um, basically a lottery at NetGalley for pre-release reviews and stuff like that. And of course, the main the big time reviewers like Kirk is, and and yourself and yeah, exactly. Not, not that I'm a big time reviewer. Well, astronaut. Um, so <laughs> never forget. Astronaut. Um, so anyway, the feedback I've gotten has been very positive, which makes me feel good because I crave external validation. But even better than that is that people love Rocky. Like I, I, I had no idea that that he would be such a popular character. I thought, yeah. and and I'm I'm real glad. That that's yeah, gonna be Rocky action figures. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, and I'm like, I'm like real happy, um, real happy about that. But people are just like absolutely adore Rocky. That a lot of people like Rocky more than they like the main character and stuff like that. So, so Rocky is not not his real name. Maybe it is now. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is why do you, why do you think it is that we have to name everything? Because your your character Riley Grace has to name everything, right? Because because he's the first to see a lot of things, so he yeah. has the honor of, of naming this. He's, why why as humans are we so driven to name everything? Well, I mean, uh, for the purpose of communication with other humans, right? Yeah. If I if I say, hey, um, this is a a nail clipper. Then from now on, I could just say nail clipper, and you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't have to go like, oh, uh, this thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, so for the purpose of language, we have to, 
we have to have words that associate to objects and individual people. You, you can't just call them, oh, person. I was talking to a person. Yeah. You need to know which one. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I, I, just, I just found it uh, entertaining and interesting that the character was so I mean, he took so much pride in being the person to name this and name that, you know. So. Yeah, he, he kind of randomly. <laughs> well, in some cases, he was just, uh, he was kind of, he's like, I got to come up with a name for this. I, I got I to call it something. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm going to call it this, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing I really liked is the dedication in the book. Oh, Yeah. I don't know. If we talk, I don't know if we can talk. Sure. About. Yeah. Um, it, it's rather, <laughs> rather curiously dedicated to John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Yeah, that was that got me. That got my curiosity up in the beginning of the book. So, there are a lot of overt and covert Beatles references in the book. Yeah, quite a, quite a few. Um, More so, than you might suspect. Yeah. So so you talked about cooperation and the friendship uh, in the story and. You know, I've been uh, one of the things that we talk about in ep every episode of the show is is the unifying power of seeing our planet from the perspective of space and to realize that we're all in this together. And when you have crises such as, you know, the COVID-19, where literally every single person on the planet in one way or another is affected by it, you know, these these cliches, we're all in this together, we're all in the same boat, all those things are undeniably and obviously not just just cliches just because just because they're cliches doesn't mean they're not true and so i want to use that <laughs> as a segue well before you do i just want to say one thing someday just once i want to meet an astronaut who says like and there i was aboard the international space station and i looked down on earth and in my mind i could see every you know political border and i knew where each country was yeah. and i could tell you this one's different than that one and these guys need to go <laughs> because you know the it's always the same thing they always say like wow the world without borders we're all one just once I'd like to have some cranky astronaut go like, <laughs> I see a bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah. No, you do see a bunch of crap. You do, and actually you do see boundaries. And, and, and I write about this, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I saw, which really moved me was I saw the illuminated man-made border between India and Pakistan at night. Oh. Uh, and it was really distinctive. It was a scar on the otherwise beautiful landscape, uh, you know, a man-made barrier to collaboration clearly visible from space where that line was keeping creative, uh, in, in, ingenious, problem-solving minds on either side of that line from cooperating, even though they lived in the same exact geographic location. So, so you or can- Or the, the stark difference between South Korea and North Korea right, at night. Exactly. It's yeah, like a bunch you, of lights, nothing. Yep, and you can see the you can see the environmental damage. You can see, all of that is obvious from space. It's undeniable from space, and the unity of our planet is is undeniable. You know that we have one biosphere, we have one ecosystem, and it's really uh, you know incredibly interconnected and inter interdependent, which is a perfect segue to another. Maybe less is it? I don't know if it's lesser known, but but you have another work that we haven't talked about yet which I think is a page and a half long. Is that about right? Yeah, it's about, it's just under a thousand words. Just under a thousand words, it, words it's called The Egg. Uh, and I, I read it about six months ago and it really resonated with me. Uh, the 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 unity of it. Can you, can you talk about what motivated you to write that? Maybe, can you, is there, I don't want to give you a 30,000 foot view because I don't want to give anything <laughs> away that you don't want to give away, but what could you share about that page and a half? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, the the basic premise. It's a it's a guy who um, dies, and then he's talking to God after he dies, and um, the story covers uh, explains the purpose of humanity, the meaning of life, the nature of the universe, and what God is. You know, just in a thousand words, <laughs> in about a thousand words. <laughs> and um, actually, I just it was a story that I I, I came up with the concept. Um, I wanted to come up with a system where it turns out life is fair yeah. after all. Yeah. And that's what I came up with. And so I wrote it and it, and I think I wrote it in about 40 minutes one night and I did like one editing pass. Then I posted it online and moved on with life. I wrote a lot of short stories back then. This was before the Martian. Yeah. And uh, it 
really took off. It became kind of a meme. It ended up all over the place on the internet. That was really my first successful bit of writing. Yeah. You know what really pissed me off about that story is I, I, I read it after I finished my manuscript for Floating in Darkness. And Floating in Darkness is, is not the, it's, it's not coming to the same conclusion, but it's coming to a similar conclusion. And I'm like, this guy did this in a page and a half. It took me 415 <laughs> words to, come, to not even come close. So. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you could also say that, like, in the egg, I mean, I don't know if it's worth not giving spoilers for a thousand-word short story, but um, pretty much every, almost everything in the egg can be found in various religions. Right. So it's like, it's, you know, I, I don't think there's any concept in the egg that isn't at least a thousand years old, right? Well, you, you, you say in the egg, all religions are, are right in, in their, in, own, in their way. own way. Yeah. The other thing you dive in, in, in a page and a half is the nature of time, um, which is another interest. I don't know if you, how deep you want to go there, but the, you know, time, uh, time, yeah, is time. within, within the story of the egg for God, time is, whatever God wants it to be. It's nonlinear. It can, it's just, yeah. And, and, and the, the, the person who died is like, wait, trying to ask questions about it. And God's like, look, you just, I could try to explain it, but you just wouldn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just don't even try. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a story I wrote. And, and the thing um, I always kind of, whenever the subject of the egg comes up, I always want to say this. Um, I do not believe that it's true. It's a story that I wrote. It's fiction. Um, you would be uh, probably shocked at, at how many emails I get from people who have decided that that is true, mm. that, that that has now become their religion. Wow. And I'm like, I don't want to start a religion. I just wanted to write a short story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've even I've even had people argue with me about it. Like they're like, "Hey, you know, I read the egg, and I, I think there's a universal truth to it, and I I believe in it, and then I'm going to live my life differently from now on, and and I'm going to be kinder to others." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm glad you're planning on being kinder to others, but it's just a story I wrote." I don't actually believe it's true. I also don't believe there's a guy stranded on Mars right now. You, you understand? This is yeah. it's, it's a fiction. And, and, I, I, and I've had people come back to me and go like, well, that may be how you feel, but you may just be a vessel to explain what's going on, you know? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a vessel of anything but a bunch of blood and organs. I just, no. So yeah. I'm not L. Ron Hubbard. I'm not interested in being a sci-fi author who creates a religion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you are an artist and, and, an, and an artist. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, an artist puts stuff out into the world and people, people bring, I mean, with an intended meaning and an intended, uh, you know, message. Uh, and, and even if it's just entertainment uh, and people draw from that what, what they want, because that's the definition of art. That's one of the definitions of art. It's, it's the same with songs. You know, there's tons of, you know, um, musicians who write songs and all, all of a sudden people draw meanings out of those songs that were not intended. That doesn't mean that they're wrong. That doesn't mean that it's not right for those people to draw that out because it's art. I mean, art is a participatory process, right? Things has- never end well for profits, so I'll pass. I just, <laughs> <laughs> just, just, uh, it's just a damn story, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are plenty of stories about the afterlife that, uh, you know, yeah. nobody even, you know, <laughs> thinks. I so- think, oh, heavenly dog, you know, <laughs> was a great movie, but I, you know, I don't know if it had a lot of converts. <laughs> so, so has there been any movie rights for the egg? Uh, people have frequently approached me for various forms of rights for the eggs and for the egg. And what I always tell them is, uh, I'm just not interested in selling the rights. Um, I just want it to be. So what I do is I say, like, you're welcome to make your own film version as long as it's free for everybody to see. Awesome. Um, so you have to post it on YouTube or Vimeo or, or somewhere that where people can see it without paying and you can't make any money off of it other than if you're doing like, if you're entering in a, in like a film contest or something like that, you're going to win a prize. That's fine. But 
That's it. So, and, and I also I say to people, you know, people like, oh, I, I want to translate the egg into, you know, Farsi. And I'm like, go ahead. Uh, just you can't charge people to read it. Just yeah. post it somewhere people can can see. So I just kind of want to keep it like that. And I've even been approached for, you know, studios have approached me and said like, hey, what would you think about making a movie out of the egg? I'm like, okay, one, no. Two, how? Like, how do you, how would you stretch that out into a movie? Like, <laughs> you'd have to add a bunch of weird that now. Yeah. Just, just no. Just no. <laughs> well, I, I love it. I think it's great. And, and what's the best way for people to read that? Uh, Google it. Google the egg Andy Weir and you'll find it. It's been reposted to like everywhere in the internet. You might find it on my site, which is called Galactonet, but it doesn't matter. It's the same words. Just read it wherever you like. Right. <laughs> and it's available in just about every language now. So... <laughs> Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a good five minute read. If that, if yep, that. it takes it takes like five minutes to read. That's it. <laughs> yep. And and if don't don't convert, please. Oh, <laughs> eggism? Yeah, yeah. No, they they call it ovism. What is it called? Ovism. Ovism. Okay. Like ova means egg. Oh, okay. So ovism, and I'm like no. No, no vism. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. Um, Thank you. So, let, can we talk about science? No, I'm not really interested in science. Are you? No. No. Yeah. yeah. But, okay. So, but yeah, anyway, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to assume you were kidding. Um, yes. <laughs> so, you know. I, I I have to admit I haven't I haven't yet read Artemis, but I but I will. You're but dead I, to me. Go on. But I'm sorry. <laughs> I said you're dead to me. Go <laughs> on. <laughs> but um, with with the Martian and with Project Hail Mary, you know, it's it's basically somebody having to. I think these are your words. Science the shit out of things. Not um, actually my words. Really? Okay. They yeah. Common mis common misconception. So that that phrase. Uh, this is a brief aside. Then we'll uh, <laughs> then I'll stop interrupting. But um, uh, credit where credits due. The um, I'm going to have to science the shit out of this is a line created by Drew Goddard, who made the um, the screenplay adaptation of The Martian. Uh -huh. It's in the film. It's not oh, yeah. anywhere in the book. Okay. So he's the guy who came up with that iconic line. And it's awesome because I'll have people, you know, in autograph lines back before the plague and they'll be like, Oh, right. I'm going to science the shit out of this and sign it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't come up with that line, but okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Well, Just, you know, I want to give credit where credit's due. Drew, it's a great line yeah. and I don't want to claim credit. It's, it, it's all Drew Goddard. Yeah, well, I, I have to say that I, I I thought the book was The Martian was funnier than the movie. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I think I think some of the punchlines uh, were, were <laughs> they, they took out my Aquaman joke. Man. Yeah, there was there were some good ones that they took out. Um, and and my favorite my favorite one that I haven't haven't really gotten into talking about was not as good in the movie as it was in the book. Um, well, the but, visual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it look a pair of boobs or no? No, it was the um, basically when he finds out that they didn't tell the crew that he was still alive. Oh, okay, yeah. Right? And so he's mad. he's doing all this technical. He's responding. Oh, and this and this, all this technical jargon, blah 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 yeah. blah. And oh, by the way, you know, regarding not telling the crew I'm alive. <laughs> what the? <laughs> <laughs> because up until that point, all the the back and forth was completely what I'm used to at NASA. And then all of a sudden he breaks character, you know, just, it was, it was funny because it was unexpected. Um, Cause you, you, you lulled me in and then, but, but science, you know, I think science is, has been taking a hit lately um, in that, you know, peer reviewed uh, evidence-based um, things that, that for the best, I mean, science, I believe it's not, it's not perfect. We, you know, scientific discoveries get overturned all the time, but I, I think there's truth to the, to the, to the idea that science is the best we have at this moment. So whatever science, whatever scientific discoveries we have, uh, there, there are evidence-based, they are, they are peer reviewed. They are, they're supposed to be um, ob objective. 
um, not subjective. And I, I think there's a sense of humility, uh, usually in science, where we're very open to being wrong and to, to admitting that, hey, yeah, we thought it was this way, but we have this new evidence, we have this new data that shows that it's, it's not true. But, um, you know, I don't know, uh, just from somebody who writes so much about science, um, what, do you, what do you think about where we're at right now? Well, obviously, it should come as no surprise. I'm pretty pro-science, right? I mean, I, I, I love science. I love scientific discovery. I love the scientific method. Um, but it would be, a, a, and yeah, there, it can seem like there's a lot of anti-science sentiment out there. But I actually don't think that that has increased significantly uh -huh. over my lifetime, for instance. I just think that it's easier for those people to communicate with each other uh, now with the internet. Yeah. So you've got basically like, let's take for instance, anti-vaxxers. Um, so that's like crank in my view, a, a crank um, scientific belief, you know, kind of like flat earthers, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, if you go back in time to before there was an internet, then that's just one guy in this whole town thinks that vaccines are, you know, are, are bad for you. And literally everyone tells him, no, you're, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're just wrong. And over time, maybe he gets convinced by that. But now people are able to find others who share that extreme or abnormal viewpoint online. So basically, each village, I think, still just has one idiot, but they can all talk to each other now. Yeah. So that's how we get these kind of, quote unquote, movements where you have like anti-vaxxers or flat earthers or 9-11 conspiracy theorists or moon landing deniers or, I mean, they've always, I mean, moon landing deniers have been around since July 22nd, 1969, right? <laughs> it's like, it's probably just, before that, probably 21st. Well, yeah, yeah. Later that day, right? Yeah. And, and so they've been around this whole time and, but it wasn't really, it's like, you knew that they were out there and that you're like, okay, whatever. But now that there's the internet, now there's this like active community of people, you know, who, who kind of reinforce each other's viewpoints in an echo chamber. And so I don't think that there actually has been as much of an attack on science as it feels like. I think it's just that the people who were always going to be doubting it anyway are just able to talk to each other yeah, and, and can be heard by people who would normally ignore them. Yeah, not only talk to each other, but talk to each other inside echo chamber walls, yeah. boxes, and, and well, then, that's a, and, that yeah. echo chamber problem is an overarching problem yeah. across our entire society, not just on the lunatic fringe. <laughs> I, I mean it. I mean it's like it is very. very when I was younger, when I was a guy, <laughs> when I was younger, it was not really possible to to isolate yourself solely to people who agreed with everything you believe. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you know, when I was in college, you know, it's like, okay, the guy, I'm meeting people from all over that I'd never met before. And everybody has like different opinions on things. Or even when I was in high school, you know, but now you can ignore and cut out of your life anyone who disagrees with you and focus all of your social energy on internet communities full of exclusively people who agree with 100% of your beliefs. And um, so that is sort of an endemic problem, not just it, it yes, it causes, it, it, it magnifies problems like anti-vaxxers, moon landing mm -hmm. deniers, whatever, but it also, also for seemingly moderate political you know, concepts, you know, people just never, literally never hear the opposing view. Uh, yeah. Or if they do hear it, they just hear some sort of straw man, right. you know, messed up point of view. So, well, it's, it's even worse than that because not only are they just talking to the people who share their beliefs, the, the commercially driven algorithms are feeding them stuff yeah. because they're feeding them what they think. They, they, yeah, the algorithm's like, oh, you like this, so here's more. Yeah, here's more of it. So, yeah. Have you ever met a flat earther? I I have never met a flat earther. 
I've met moon landing deniers. Yeah, yeah. And I have met um, uh, creationists, and and by creationist I mean like uh, uh, in this context I mean people who believe the Earth is like six thousand years old, because. Um, of course, I know lots of religious people who believe that God created the universe, but they believe that he did it 13 and a half billion years ago, <laughs> right? Like, so I don't really think of them as creationists because, they, yes, they believe the universe was created, but they believe that, oh, yeah, all this science and physics that we see, that's God caused it to happen. We're just kind of figuring out what he did, right, right. you know. I don't think of them as lunatic friends, but I have had strange conversations with people who believe Earth is like 6,000 years old. I've had uh, one guy at a public event start asking me questions about a secret um, NASA base on Phobos. Oh. oh, how did they know about that? I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I thought we kept a lid on that, but... I mean, yeah, I mean, probably the biggest. I reported him to NASA's black ops, so yeah. he, will, he will have been disappeared by now. So it's fine. But in general, yeah. You know, humans are not that good at keeping secrets. And we so, are terrible at it. And so there's some pretty there's some pretty big secrets that we'd have to be keeping. You know, I, I did an interview uh, a few years ago. Um, it was a nationally syndicated radio show, and uh, I was and they had call call in um, listeners. And oh. somebody called in and asked me if, if, when I was in space, if I saw any aliens. And, and I said, you know, the truth. I said, no, I've, I've, not, I've never, never seen any aliens. And they asked, well, do you believe in aliens? And I said, well, I think statistically speaking, there's, there's we're right, probably somewhere. not. The, we're probably I don't not think the only come here, but yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're probably not the only intelligent life. The, the universe is a really big place, and and statistically, yeah, we're pro we're probably not alone. My my uh, Wikipedia page got hacked after that, calling me a, a, a lying this and a lying that, uh, and, and that I'm part of the conspiracy. And <laughs> I know, so I almost uh, I'm exceptionally lazy, so I didn't actually do it, but I had an idea. Once I was going to basically make a whole website dedicated to the proposition that there is no such thing as Canada. Now, here was my theory. What I was going to do is use is take every argument that moon landing deniers use and use that to prove that Canada isn't real, right? It's like, oh, look how the shadows fall on this thing. And so I'd find a picture from Canada that has shadows doing that and say like, as you can see, you know, you know, and so I'd say like, take all of the moon landing deniers arguments as um, doctrine and then use them to prove that there's no such thing as Canada. And it's like, well, what about people who have been to Canada and say it exists? It's like, well, they're part of the conspiracy, obviously, yeah, you know, probably. obviously. And it's like, but that's like hundreds of thousands of people in the United States have been to Canada. I'm like, well, hundreds of thousands of people worked for NASA during the Apollo program. Yeah. So they're, you know, whatever. It's, it makes perfect sense. And then here's a picture of Toronto. <laughs> you can see the, the back plain yeah. elimination doesn't quite matter, you know, whatever. <laughs> Just you know, you know, we're, we're kind of kidding around, but, but what I think we're highlighting is just how easy it's become to convince people of things. And, you know, we've always had, um, I guess you could call that propaganda, right? I mean, I guess you could call there's, there's always, well, I mean, okay. So I would, I would draw a, a bit, you know, words, are, words are yeah. my stock and trade. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. important to me. Propaganda to me, is intentional uh, and is intentional deception. Yeah. yeah. Right. This is this is um I don't know, lunatic fringe theory propagation for lack but of a better tools, term. But the tools are the same. Yeah. The tools are the and, and because we're we you know we're in this technological explosion, we're on the on the Morse curve, you know, it's becoming and we're so much more connected. Oh, if you believe in Morse curves. <laughs> Another conspiracy. There's <laughs> no such thing as a curve. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> There's no such thing as a line. So. <laughs> I just like, I saw an, an internet post once that said, whenever anybody talks to me about a conspiracy theory, I just try to amp it up a step and just throw it back to them. Yeah. They say, like, you know, you really believe people landed on the moon? And then you just go back, what? You believe in the moon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got ambushed by TMZ. <laughs> no, I got, I got in. I was, walking out of, I was walking out of a building in, in Manhattan and there was, there was these guys out there and they said, Hey Ron, Hey, can we, can we have your autograph? I'm like, and they had pictures of me. 
like, okay. So I, I sign the autograph and I look up and there's all these cameras on my face. <laughs> and they start asking me all these stupid questions, you know, like the wet wipes work in space and all this kind of stuff. And then they ask me, you know, and then I see I see the TMZ thing on the on the microphone, and, and they say, "Have you ever seen any aliens?" And I go, "This is not going to end well for me. I'm not, you know, I, I'm <laughs> thinking back to the time where I got my Wikipedia <laughs> page hacked and everything." So I just said, "Well, you know, I've never seen any aliens, but that's because they're very very small." <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You just smart ass your way out of it, and it's yeah, so so they, you know, I knew somebody was going to get made fun of, and actually the host when they aired that. They made fun of the host instead of me, so I was able to deflect that. So. Hey, just remember, if you ever just secret of the trade, not so secret, I guess, but if ever somebody's filming you and you don't want them to, just start singing a copyrighted song, and they will not legally be <laughs> – seriously, they won't legally be able to air it because they'll get sued by the owners of that song. Oh, wow. And so you can just <laughs> – there's uh, the, the TV show The Great British Bake Off, it's like it's like Top Chef, but with the sweetest people, like yeah. where everybody's just really nice, you yeah. know. And sometimes a chef will like get stressed out or upset, and he or she'll just be like maybe crying. And the hosts don't want that person to end up being embarrassed when the show airs, so they will run over and start singing um, some copyrighted song. They'll run over and start singing something so that the station, so that the the studio won't be able to use that footage. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I'm going to put that in my back pocket. Yeah, put it in your back pocket. So so what's what's next? What's next for you? Um, uh, well, I am working on my next book, but I'm not feeling great about it, so I might change to a different idea. Um, in the past, you know, after The Martian, you know, I, I, I mentioned that I, I had this book, Jack. I didn't mention that. No. Sorry. I... <laughs> This is like my third interview today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember when we were talking earlier yeah. about goat porn. Um, <laughs> I'll try those sites out that you recommended. No. Um, uh, okay. So after The Martian, um, uh, I was like on top of the world, Ma. And uh, Random House said, we want another book. And I said, well, I've got this epic science fiction saga that's been percolating in my mind for years. It's got aliens and space travel and faster than light travel. It's got telepathy. It's got, it's got a big ass war. It's got all this cool stuff. And, and they're like, cool, write it. And so it was called Jek. And I wrote it and I worked on it for a year. They gave me a contract, everything like that. That was going to be my next book. I announced it, you know, I said like, oh, my next book's going to be called Jek and it's going to have, ah, la, 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 la. anyway, I worked on it for a year. I got 70,000 words into it. Uh, for reference, The Martian is about 100,000 words. And um, one day I was like, oh, slight problem. This sucks. Um, it was just not good. Uh, it, the characters weren't interesting. The story wasn't coming together. I was still in the first act, even though it's like 70,000 words in. And I'm just like, geez. And so I basically asked my publisher, hey, I want to ditch this and write a completely different book. And they let me because they'd been reading what I'd written so far on Jack, and they also knew it sucked. And that, that became Artemis? Or? Yeah, and so I, I, I just backburnered, well, just threw away, really, Jack, and then uh, I wrote Artemis, came up with Artemis and wrote that instead, and I'm very glad that I did. But anyway, that was a humbling experience that taught me no matter how awesome I think a concept is when I start, it isn't necessarily going to pan out. Yeah. And so um, I, I don't, Really, I, I am working on another book right now, but I don't know. Uh, I'm not far enough into it that mm -hmm. I that I feel like okay, this is definitely my next book. So, well, I think that's a, a good lesson learned to know when it's time to to make a course correction. And, and yeah, that hurt. Yeah. Uh, I did use, although there were some elements of Jack, uh, a few little bits of it that I stole for Project Hail Mary. So it did end up working out reasonably well. Yeah. Um, the um, uh, most notably, the character of Strat in uh, Project Hail Mary is pretty much based on a character that I had in Jack. Okay. So. You know, one of the things that I really admire about your writing is the, the multidimensional nature of your characters. And I think, you know, a lot of the problems that we no see... No one's ever accused me of character depth. <laughs> this is new. <laughs> no. So, I mean, mo most of... Most of 
a lot of the problems that we face right now are, are two-dimensional in nature. We, it's uh, people get binary, right? It's black God and white. Damn parallelograms. I'm, yeah, I'm right, you're wrong. You know all this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, good, good versus evil. You know everything gets reduced down to this. You know basic, basic yeah. common denominator there. But you know, for instance, you know you, your your main hero in in Project Hail Mary is not a perfect human, right? No, no, he's not he's, a perfect hero. Nope. So, not at all. <laughs> and and I forgot her name now, but the Strat. But he, oh, his, yeah, his boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strat. Yeah, Strat, she's yeah. the one who's based on a character originally from okay. Jack. Yeah, yeah. I I I know lots of Strats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know there is. You make the point over and over again that it's not always morally cut and dry. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's sometimes you're walking a really fine line. On Strat has to make a lot of tough decisions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but did you make any wrong decisions? I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, you never really. Well, I, I can't can't talk too much about yeah. it because yeah. I give yeah. away too much yeah. of the of yeah. the second and third act, but. Um, you don't see a sequel to this, do you? Um, I, I I see sequel potential. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you left me wanting a sequel. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I didn't I didn't write it at all with a sequel in mind. I, I when I was at the time I wrote it, I thought I was like, okay, this is a one and done story, like The Martian. Um, but it could have a sequel. It absolutely could. Right. Um, the the things set in motion in the first book and the new technologies they acquire as a result of it can lead to some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. So I do have ideas for a sequel. I don't have anything tangible enough to pitch, Yeah. but I have, I have put thought into it. I won't lie. All right. Are we, are we allowed to talk about the, uh, the movie stuff? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, can we so, talk about who, who's maybe yeah. cast? Or? Yeah. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Um, Ryan Gosling. It was, so uh, we sold the film rights to MGM, and Ryan Gosling is um, is uh, tapped to is on board to play the lead named Ryland Grace. So it's cool. It's that we keep the initials the same. That's what's exactly. important. Exactly. And uh, yeah, um, and we have uh, Drew Goddard who wrote the screenplay to The Martian is working on the screenplay to Project Hail Mary. Yeah. Because. This time, um, for The Martian, my only job was to cash the check. But this time, I'm actually uh, one of the producers. So I do have some say. Um, and, and so they said, well, Andy, who do you think should write the screenplay? I'm like, Drew Goddard. He did a fantastic <laughs> he's job. He's going to write the shit out of that thing. Yeah, he's going <laughs> <laughs> to literature the shit out of this. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, it's funny because like, you know, I called him and said like, Hey man, my next book is coming out soon. Or actually at the time it wasn't coming out any time soon. It was like, my next book's not coming out for a while. MGM got up the rights. Ryan Gosling wants to play the lead and I would love for you to write it. And he's like, I have like so much work to do. I'm, I'm writing a TV series for Disney. I'm working on this other thing and stuff like that. I'm swamped. I just, um, I don't, uh, I, I don't really have the time. And I'm like, well, when would you have the time? I mean, there's a pandemic going on. We wouldn't start shooting for a long time anyway. And he's like, well, I don't know, not for quite a while. I, I just really can't commit to anything. And he's like, but I'd love to read it, you know, if you can get me a copy. I'm like, sure, I'll give you a copy. So I sent him a copy. And then, he's hooked. <laughs> yeah, and, and then he said like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll write it. I want to write it. <laughs> so that made me feel good. And then I just, I wanted Drew so much. I said like, guys, let's just wait. I mean, we're, you know, we're not going to shoot anything in the middle of the pandemic anyway. Let's just wait till Drew's available so he can work on the screenplay. And, yeah. and he is now. So cool. That's awesome. I can't, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Like I said, I, I had a movie running in my head the whole time I was, I was I was reading it, so it shouldn't be that hard of a, an adapt adaptation. Well, so, it's the trick with you know uh, book to film adaptations is always like what to cut. Yeah, I mean right, it, it right. would make a six hour movie if you put everything yeah. in there. Right. Same with The Martian, and yeah. that's what I, Drew's got a superpower about that. Like he's just real good. Like if you read the book, The Martian, you'll be like, oh, this didn't happen in the movie. Okay, oh, and this didn't happen either. But it it, it didn't lose anything. Yeah, yeah. you know. Well, yeah. it's a sign of a good story that they're that they're they're basing it off of. So, Andy, th thank you so much. I, I guess we're we're at, 
coming to the close of this episode, uh, I just want to, you know, thank you for taking the time, but equally important, if not more important, thank you for all the amazing stories that you put in, into the world. And you're, you are a master storyteller, my friend. Well, thanks so much, but you're still cooler because you're an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody go out and buy a copy of Project Hail Mary. It, they're available everywhere, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, you, you won't, you won't regret it. It was a, uh, it was a great story. So thanks. thanks everybody. Thanks, Andy. Bye. See ya. Thank you for joining us during this conversation from the orbital perspective. And thank you for being a part of an emerging unity on our planet. We are strongest when we are aligned around the truth of our underlying unity together. We are unstoppable and can build a positive, restorative future, a future that we would all want to be a part of. Please subscribe to the Orbital Perspective podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for all that you're doing and all that you will do to help make life on our planet as beautiful as it looks from space. <laughs>